Jesus, we thank you so much that your Holy Spirit is promised to whoever would ask. God, that you uh, satisfied every requirement that uh, a person may have upon them to get the Holy Spirit. Lord, you've satisfied it all. And now it is simply available to whoever would ask with their whole heart in full dependence upon you. So Lord, we ask right now you would send us your Holy Spirit. You would give us everything that we need. God, we're so desperate and dependent upon you for everything. Our very breath, it says in the Psalms, is a gift from God. So if our very breath is a gift, then certainly our spiritual life and vitality is as well. So Lord, we ask you would bring us spiritual depth. God, you would bring us wisdom. God, you would bring healing to those in here who who have been hurt, maybe hurt by other people, maybe hurt by their own uh, foolish choices or decisions. But Lord God, we ask that you would bring healing in this place today. I thank you so much for your word and how uh, Abram speaks to us today. His life and this story, God is going to give us insights into our own. Lord, I pray it would be so applicable into our hearts today. Lord, I pray for those who are not here, God, because they're struggling and they're, they're having a, a rough time. God, I pray for those who are broken. I pray for those who need to be broken. God, that your spirit would do both of those works. And God, that you would bring them back. And Lord, I pray for those who did come today. And I pray that you would, Lord, bless us. Lord, there's, there's a message in your word of the law that, that's so brutal, it's so hard to hear, but it's so necessary for us to know in the depths of who we are how desperately we need you. And God, I pray that the truth of your law would be heard And then the greater truth of your grace and your gospel will be proclaimed and received by everyone in here today. God, we need you again so much, and we look upon you as our loving Father. In your name we pray, amen. Today's message is called, Get Back and Get Right. Get back and get right. And we left Abram. He had just gone down into Egypt because there was a famine. That's what we studied last week. Great famine in the land. He says, I'm out of here. Even though God's promised me this land, I am going to Egypt. And Egypt was a type of the world. In the Bible, it's commonly a type of the world. I can remember my Egypt, my time when I was not depending on the Lord. I can remember it. You know, I got hurt. And I experienced devastation. My family was falling apart. Spending time with God was like going through the motions. Have you been there? Have you, have you been there? I knew all the right things to do, and I did them. But if all the truth was laid out for everyone to see, I was not fully surrendered. I was living in Egypt. I wasn't, I I was comfortable there. I like the Nile River with all its benefits. Wherever, whenever I felt a push or pull to lay everything down to Jesus, I shrunk back in fear. I remember that time in my life. And praise the Lord, he brought me out. But that time was so vivid still in my memory. 
And I'm sure you guys join me in remembering that time. Maybe you're in that time now. Well, Andy Mineo, my favorite rapper, Christian theologian to beats, we'll call him, um, he, he puts it this way. I've got two choices. Both require pain. One's the pain of change in, or the pain of staying the same. One of them leads to joy. The other leads to shame. One of them leads to freedom, and the other keeps me in chains. I wear a cross and give thanks for my blessings. Ain't that enough? Why do you want everything? Can't you leave this part of my life untouched? I thought following you meant I only had to say yes once. Now every day I wake up, and you give me some cross to take up. You really want me to break up with my girl? Now that's too much. I know what's best for me. You don't understand my complexities. See, I've got to make a living, so don't ask me where my check comes from. You hear me talking, but I've gone numb. I know I'm in the dark. I've got to find my way to the sun because he's calling my name, and I know I can't run, so I'm back and forth. I drown on broken hearts, a man full of regrets. The thrill has left, empty, empty promises of sin sets. You want to put treasure in my hands, but you cease because they're clamped, holding on to sins that I won't release. I don't know how to start loving you. I stop doing what I'm doing. I'd stop doing what I'm doing if I gain you. Tell me what I'm really losing. You have to change me and my sins. I'd never choose him. My heart needs to see something greater than what I'm pursuing. So it's true that you give me, is it true that you give rest to the weary? Could you accept and repair me? Do you hear me? It's so close now. It's so painfully apparent that I can't have my sin and my savior. They're not for sharing. Anything that I lose to follow you is not a loss. My girlfriend, my friends, my money, even my job. But sometimes I believe the lie that God won't provide for his child when they want to obey. That's so crazy. He calls me to freedom. I think it's time to walk. I don't see every step, but the next is out of the dark. I'm the filthiest of them all, but I'm yours if you wash me from the sin by the blood of that cross, I'm yours. Man, those are some deep lyrics. And they describe that back and forth. Well, in Abram's life, what we see is he has gone down to Egypt, but God's spirit is calling him back. He will not let him enjoy the pleasures of Egypt. The world just starts to taste empty. Their onions and their leeks or whatever they have in Egypt that they're famous for, he doesn't start to, they don't satisfy him anymore. Man, so we get now to Genesis chapter 13. Abram getting right with God. It says, then Abram, he went up from Egypt. Because you always go up from Egypt. You're always going down to Egypt and up from Egypt. Not because it's towards the south, but because it's a lower plane of life. And you're coming up. And he and his wife and all he had and lot with him to the south. Abraham was very rich in livestock and silver and in gold. And he went on his journey from the south as far as Bethel to the place where his tent had been at the beginning between Bethel and Ai. 
to the place of the altar which he had made there at first. And there Abram called on the name of the Lord. Of course, we learned last week that he never should have left this place. He never should have left for Egypt. He was promised this land of Canaan by the word of the Lord. God would have provided for him there. We don't have, when we don't live according to the word of the Lord, we get all messed up. And Abraham, he left in fear, just messed up. And then he lied, and then he trusted in his own deceptive ability to protect him in this dangerous land. So he faced some consequences. His family was separated from a time, remember, Pharaoh took his wife because of his choices. He's down in Egypt, now his family is separated. Oh man, dads, dads, your spiritual and godly leadership is so vital in the life of your families. Abraham's journey took him away from his place of worship. His place, I mean, he had set up that altar. He was, he was chilling in Canaan. Yes, there was a famine, but God would have provided. Now, his family has all kinds of consequences. How can you lead your family well, dads, men, in all the confusing circumstances of life, in all the twists and turns of marriage and parenting, which can both be crazy. How do we do that? And the answer is to stay in a place of worshiping God, like Abram should have. Abide in Christ. Abide. Daily time in his word is so important to this abiding. Day by day, just like the provision that God made for the people of Israel in the desert when they were wandering through the, de the deserts. Uh, if you remember that story, we haven't gotten there in the, in the Bible yet, but in your own reading, I'm sure you know about how in the desert, God provided them food every morning called manna, a, a, a Hebrew word that means, what is it? Because it was angel food, we're, we're told. They didn't know what it was, but it, it was kind of like bread that flaked and it, we're told it was you know, angel food, and they didn't know it was kind of bland tasting. But it was what they needed every day. God provided for them, and he, then he provided twice as much on Fridays because he didn't want them going out on Saturdays just because he wanted to give them a day of rest. It was a supernatural provision of what they needed, and that's what we got to look at our time in the Lord daily in his word to be. It's our manna. It is our daily provision. He never gives more than is needed except that one day's worth. He only gives what we need for that one day. You can't spend so much time in the word one day that the next day you're like, ah, I'm good. I don't need it. And it doesn't work that way. God doesn't give that much. Well, why not? I'd like to store it up. Because that's not how God works. God is so much more concerned with developing a day-by-day -day dependence upon him to give us our spiritual nourishment than he is about setting you up for success in the long term. He wants us to develop that day-by-day, -day, even every moment. Not only is it day-by-day, -day, but it can be every moment our abiding is maintained by God. See, God's the one that takes responsibility himself for this relationship. He says, I'll provide for you every day if you come to me. 
In fact, every moment in Isaiah chapter 27, verse 3, there's an amazing verse that says, I, the Lord, keep it and water it every moment, speaking of his garden, his garden of his people. He says, I keep it, I water it every moment, lest any hurt it. I keep it day and night. He says, every moment, it's his joy and his job he puts on himself to take care of you and him and that relationship. Many wonder if they can really abide in Christ every moment of the day. How can I always be thinking about Jesus? It sounds tiring. It sounds like a burden. Something else to think about all the time? Is this just another law to keep? You know, we have jobs, right? You guys have a job that you have to think about. Maybe you program computers. Maybe you wash cars. I don't know. Whatever your jobs are. And those have to take our mental thoughts sometimes. And that's fine. That doesn't mean that you've abandoned Christ. And it certainly doesn't mean that you're not abiding in Christ. Why? Because God is taking care of the abiding on his side. Let me ask you this question. When you go to work, do you forget that you're married? Or do you forget that you have a mom and a dad? And then you, you remember them at one point in the day, oh, I totally forgot that I have this relationship of love that so completes me and fulfills me. No, we don't. We can abide in that relationship even if it's not taking up the primary thoughts in your mind. Even if you have to think about your taxes or you have to think about whatever tasks you have at your job, when we get that moment of freedom where we don't have to do that and we come back and say, Lord, I abide in you again, he doesn't say, oh, well, it's about time. He never does that. He is completely taking care of it on his behalf. He is the one taking care of our hearts and, and taking care of the abiding for us. It's such a glorious thing. And it's not another law. It's not another burden. It's not something that we, man, I'm so tired. Do I have to abide in Christ now? If we only knew, if we only knew that all Christians abiding is our calling and our gift. It's our gift just because we are tired. We are weak. We have no ability. Jesus says, okay, I get it that you have no ability, so I give you one thing to do, and that's just abide, remain. Take my yoke upon you because my yoke is easy and my burden is light. It's so freeing. It's so freeing to realize that God does not put another law on us. He simply says, just remember my love and stay there. Remember what I did on the cross for you and stay there. Keep it in your mind. Keep it in your heart. Day by day, remind yourself of it. And then every moment, I will take care of it on my side. I will do it for you. I learned something great in what a book I was reading yesterday, and it was about, um, actually, uh, Andrew Murray has a book called Abide in Christ, and one of the, the chapters is about the word surety. And bankers would know uh, surety is, is the guarantee that you're going to follow through. And it says in Hebrews that Jesus was the surety for us. Now, what does that mean? 
It means it's the guarantee for us that God's never going to abandon you again. He's never going to judge you for your sin. He is never going to treat you like an unbeliever, ever, once you believe. You are his child, and he will forever treat you that way. Great. I love that guarantee. But he's not only the surety of that, he's not only the guarantee of that, but he's also the guarantee to God that you will act rightly, that you will be godly and Christ-like. Now, how can he do that? Because he knows he can say to God, God, I got these people. If they abide in me, if they trust me and love me, what I'm going to do in them is I'm going to put my very life inside them. I'm going to put my very spirit inside them, and their actions will start to look like mine. They will start to look like me. And that pleases you, my Father, because I always please you. I've always pleased you. And so he is the guarantee to the Father of us. Such a wonderful thing, the surety of Jesus. And he says, it's not about how hard you try. It is my yoke is that I love you. Do you accept that? Do you believe that Jesus loves you? Amen, we do. And so you have taken his yoke upon you. Is it hard to believe that Jesus loves you? Well, it could be, but it's a lot less hard than trying to earn it yourself or trying to better your life or trying... I'm getting on a rabbit trail. I need to rein it in here. But we see God's grace still being given to Abram. He is coming back. He's coming back to that place of worship where he had before. He had built this altar where he's just worshiping God. Abraham didn't earn it, but he was growing in riches, we even see. All of this blessing was not a justification for him being in Egypt. God just loves Abram. God loves him, and he's not ashamed to love him. All because Abraham simply believes. That's why he's receiving all these blessings. Abraham now returns to a place of humble and faithful relationship with God. He comes back. So here's the question for us. Was God worried that Abraham wouldn't come back? No, he wasn't. God knew that he would. What about all the sin? What about Abraham being a complete jerk to his wife and saying, say, you're my sister, and basically letting Pharaoh take her away? What about all that? What about the sin? How could Abraham just roll back up to the altar like everything was fine? Well, he's a believer. He just believes. He believes what God told him. God said, I am going to give you what you need. And that's just like us believing the gospel. We are forgiven when we believe. We believe what God says he did on the cross. This belief produces repentance. And if there's no repentance that follows, then there was no true belief. When you believe what God says, it will lead you to repentance or it will lead you back from Egypt to the place where you can be worshiping God again. See, God wasn't worried about Abraham staying down in Egypt because he knew Abraham believed. And he knew even if Abraham was screwing up right now, that his heart would be led towards repentance by the belief that was there. 
He knew that his spirit had access to Abraham's heart and could draw him back. And that's what happens when we believe, is we're drawn back to repentance. We don't have to freak out when we're in sin. We don't have to freak out when other people are in sin. Saying, oh my gosh, you're in sin, you got to get... No, we have to encourage them to remember Christ's love. Encourage them to remember who he is and what he's done for them and the joy of worshiping the Lord. A great invitation if you want to be an evangelist is come worship God with me. Why would I want to worship God? Come and find out. It's pretty awesome. Or if they're a believer already and they're just not living for the Lord, you say, come worship the Lord. The spirit inside them will draw them to accept that invitation as we pray for them. It's awesome how it works that way. Does God want me to stay away until he's not angry with me anymore? I get pounded by this. Do you? I do. When I screw up, my heart always thinks, maybe it's just me, maybe I I struggle in this way specifically, but I always think, I need to stay away a little while until I cool down or until God cools down because I'm afraid of the lightning bolts. No, that's not true. All that is required for us to do to be right with the Lord is to repent. One second. Just come back. Lift your eyes to him in full trust. Surrender to his desires to bless you with forgiveness and love. Believe it. Do you think God wants to bless you and forgive you? Believe it. He does. That is the gospel. How do I know that's all I need to do? That sounds basically like nothing. Just believe. Just believe and look in faith to him. The Bible declares it. That's called the gospel of grace. I thought I had to keep a list of rules. Nope, that's the law. That's in the Bible too. And actually, you could make it to heaven by keeping all those rules perfectly, entirely, for, the re- for your whole life from the moment you were born. You could, but no one does. Well, how do we know this works? Romans 10.13 says, For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Whoever calls on the name. The law would say that you have sacrifices to make. you got stuff to do that you need to make up for your sin. But the gospel says that the sacrifice has been made and now we can all just run straight back to God whenever we're in Egypt. We call in his name and we're perfectly forgiven and back in right relationship with God in one second. And then we realize that we were never that far from him anyway. We were only ignoring him. Abraham left his first love He forgot about the love aspect. You guys know in Revelation chapter 2, he says, Nevertheless, I have this one thing against you to the church there in Ephesus. He says, you have left your first love. Remember, he says, therefore, from where you have fallen, step number two, repent and do the first works. Or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. The first works... The way we get to this 
Humbly looking to God in faith is what that is. Hum- humility and faith are acceptance of all that the gospel has to offer. He says, remember and then repent. Remember the, re- the love. Remember the relationship. Believe it is implied. And then it will lead you to have a repentant heart. And then your life will start to line up. You'll find that you're no longer in Egypt anymore. You look around, hey, I'm in Canaan. I'm at the place where I can worship God freely. And it's awesome. Abraham goes back to his loving relationship with God. So that's what we've seen here so far in chapter 13. Now we read verse 5. Lot also went with Abraham. He had flocks and herds and tents. And now the land was not able to support them that they might dwell together, for their possessions were so great that they could not dwell together. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram's livestock and the herdsmen of, Lot, of Lot's livestock. The Canaanites and the Perizzites then dwelt in the land. So Abram said to Lot, Please let there be no strife between you and me and between my herdsmen and your herdsmen, for we are brethren. Is not the whole land before you? Please separate from me. If you take it, the left, I will go to the right. And if you go to the right, then I will go to the left. It's amazing to me that Abraham is acting so selfless and loving now. He's willing to waive his rights for the sake of someone he loves. When he was just a total idiot in Egypt. (laughs) It's amazing how when you're right with God and you're worshiping God, it affects how you behave with other people. Philippians 3.8 says, Yes, I indeed count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I've suffered the loss of all things, and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ. I want you guys to go and go to blueletterbible.com and look up the Greek word for rubbish, what he considered all things. And get back to me with what you find out on that. Because it's a very crass and vulgar word. I love Paul. He's, he's out there. You know, he was just, Abram was just a doubting and sinful man. What's the difference? What, how does this kind of heart, where, where does it come from? And the answer is time-loving God. Abiding with Jesus. Worshiping God. That's what sanctifies us. That's what changes us. Hebrews 10.10 says, by, the will, by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. David Guzak teaches us, because he trusted in God, Abram did not have to be obsessed with his own rights. And neither do we. We only right, the only right that we have is the right to go to hell. Everything else is a free gift of God and nothing to do with our rights. Paul described it as being crucified with Christ so that Jesus can live through us. Why is he so willing to just let Lot take whatever and be so selfless? Because he has found, again, a life in God, a life that flows from God. And he's content with that. He's laid down his life so that the life of God could be seen in him. It's a, it's a wonderful lesson for us. So we see now verse 10 in Genesis 13. And Lot lifted his eyes and saw the plain of Jordan 
that it was well watered everywhere before, this is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah. Like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go towards Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself the plain of Jordan. And Lot journeyed east, and they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. Well, Lot, it says, lifted his eyes. And that's the problem. Lot's belief in logic, his trust in his own abilities to determine the right way. He sees some attributes of the land that remind him of God's will. It looked like the garden of God, the garden of the Lord, the garden of Eden. And so he chooses for himself, it says. He's all about himself in this choice, probably justifying it by saying, well, it looks like something that God would be into. I mean, it looks like his garden after all. Just like we can so easily justify our actions and selfish choices by logic. God doesn't make sense sometimes. He doesn't. Like giving us the gospel. Why would a king ever die for rebels? And yet that's what the gospel is. Doesn't make sense. Like waiting upon the Lord. Last night in our surrender service, we just spent time in silence at certain points. We sung random songs. We read psalms. We just waited upon the Lord. If the world looked at that and said, what are you doing? What are you accomplishing? Get stuff done. What are you, you're just waiting? What are you doing? No. The Lord asks us to just wait, to just give his spirit time to work in our hearts. He's much more like a gardener than a manufacturer. We accomplish more through humble, dependent praying than through the most vigorous working. You know, if we want people in our life to be changed and saved, praying for them is the only way. Trying to convince them not to go to hell never works. Anyone ever convinced anyone out of hell? No, it doesn't work. But we pray and we ask the Lord's Spirit to work, and he does. We get to verse 13. It says, But the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful before the Lord. See, now we hear in this verse the voice of the law clearly being heard. No matter how bad they were, I look at this verse and I have to say, I have been exceedingly wicked and sinful before the Lord as well. We all have. In fact, Romans 3.19 says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it says to those who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped and the whole world may become guilty before God. So the law, the law, the law is so wonderful and amazing at doing its job, which is, says here, it tells you to shut up. It says every mouth might be stopped. When we hear the law, when we hear the law say, you're exceedingly wicked, it's a good shut up to us. We can't really say anything against it because, yeah, I am. The law is so good at that. And then it says it's so good at making all the world become guilty before God. Oh, the law is so good at that. Saying, you have broken God's laws. And all the world is guilty and 
There's not really measures of who's more guilty than other people because if you're guilty, you're guilty. You only half murdered that person, I guess. So you're only half guilty. No. We're guilty. We are guilty. Every one of us is guilty. In fact, Romans 3.23, four verses later, says, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Every single person is in the same boat in a stream going to hell. These men in Sodom and Gomorrah are just like all men, sinful, guilty before God. The law speaks it, and it does not stutter. I picture the law as Stanley from the office, cold, dark, and uninterested in my failures or feelings. That was a joke. You'll get it later. Love, God's love, though, is supreme. There are two doctrines in the Bible that we learn. One of them is the law, and the other one is the gospel. And the highest art in all the world is being able to rightly divide these two doctrines. Because they're everywhere. We've seen so many times as we've gone through Genesis, the gospel. We've seen God's free love, his undeserved favor. But we've also seen the law. And I'm telling you guys, it is something that is unbelievable when you start to be able to rightly divide where the law is and where the gospel is. And that's my hope for you guys, is that as you guys put in the time to study the word with us on Sunday mornings and go to anchor groups and spend the, your own time, that you start to be able, be able to develop a spiritual discernment and ability to say that's law and it always speaks condemnation. And this is gospel, and it always speaks God's love and God's power. And where the two dif the differences lie, it's so important for us to understand those, that difference. And we're going to continue to hit on that topic many times as we study the book of Genesis, and no matter where we're at, because we're constantly dividing the law from the gospel and using them in the right ways. So now we reach the point where God confirms his promise to Abraham. And it says in verse 14, the Lord said to Abraham, after Lot had separated from him, lift your eyes now and look from the place where you are, northward, southward, eastward, and westward, for all the land which you see is given to you and your descendants forever. And I will make your descendants as the dust of the earth. This is speaking, and we can see this fulfilled as the Jewish and Arab nations all combined, millions and billions of them. So that if a man could number the dust of the earth, then your descendants could also be numbered. He's saying, life is going to come from your life. So keep waiting. That's the promise that he's hearing here. Verse 17, arise, walk in the land and through its length and its width, for I have given it to you. The land is given to Abram's descendants through his promise of a child. God wants Abraham now to explore this land. He doesn't want him to just hear about the promise. God wants Abraham to investigate it, to explore it, to go deep in understanding what promise has been given to him. He hears, yeah, I got the land. I know, I know I'm supposed to live a victorious Christian life. Yeah, but are you exploring that? Are you diving in or are you wasting your time? Just hanging out right there. Verse 18, Then Abraham moved his tent and went and dwelt by the tabernacle trees of Mamre, 
which are in Hebron, and he built an altar there to the Lord. The name Mamre means vision. Hebron means communion. Abraham is once again walking in the Lord's vision. He has vision for his life. He knows what he's supposed to be doing. And he's walking in communion with the Lord. God repeats and confirms what's most important for Abraham to focus on. And what's that? His promises. God has no problem repeating. It's the one thing in this world that never changes or fails. There will come a day when the sun doesn't rise, but his promises will never fail. Think about that. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him are yes and amen to the glory of God through us. So if you want to depend on one of his promises and you ask him for it and you depend on him for it, the answer is going to be yes, and it will never be no. Any one of his promises, like the promise that says, draw near to God, and he'll draw near to you. God the Father will always say yes to the Son, and will always affirm what the Son says. That's what that verse means. The promises of God are always yes and amen in him. It means when you're in Christ, God says yes to you because he's saying yes to his son. And he always confirms what his son says is the right thing. That's why we abide in Christ. In him there is no failure, no doubt or lack of any spiritual resource. Only life exists in Jesus. Only fruit. Only what he and the Father have always had from eternity past, which is that true fellowship of love. Jesus says, as the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. That's what he wants us to experience. That love that never ends, that never falters, that never even is doubted. 2 Corinthians 7.1 says, therefore, having these promises, these promises, beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. He says, we have these promises. And the result, if we have these promises, when we do, is a cleansing and a perfecting work in our life. So how do we have them? How do I just say, well, today I have the promises? By learning them and believing them. That's how you have them, by learning them and believing them, reaching out our hands of faith and taking a hold of them, living and existing each day with the sure confidence that his promises are for you and effectual for your life. That's how you're saved, is you believe Jesus said when he died on the cross, it was for you and it's for your sins, and you're not saved if you don't believe that. If you don't believe that that was for you and all the dirty stuff you've ever done, you're not saved. But if you do believe it, you have reached out your hand of faith and taken a hold of that promise and you live there. You don't lose that. You can't lose it when you hold on to it by faith. It doesn't matter how, how strong your hands are. It matters if you believe. And every other promise in the Bible is the exact same thing, including I have a sin in my life that I struggle with. How do I get rid of it? Jesus, you said, if I look to you, you will conquer every, break every chain, conquer every sin in my life. So I look to you, I take hold of it, and I believe it, and I step forward in you. 
and I step forward and that sin has no power over me. That is the victorious Christian life. God wants us to explore the land that he has given to us. He wants us to dive in and journey through all the land that he's given us, to study the word of God and to apply it to our life. Why do you think we spend an hour studying the Bible? It's because you got to know the promises. If you don't know them, you can't grasp them. How are they going to believe unless they have a preacher? And how are they going to hear unless they hear the word of God? I totally did a terrible quote of that verse, but you get my point. He gets then, he, he gets up, Abraham, and he moves to Mamre, which means vision, again, like I said, and it's in Hebron, which means communion. So many times I can remember times in my life where I didn't walk with vision. I just wandered like a blind man. I just drifted. I'd go from this job to that one, from this relationship to that one. From, you know, the only consistent in a life like that was me. What am I into at the moment? What am I into? What am I excited by? What am I comfortable with clinging to? That is a life without vision. When we think about ourselves, when we make decisions based on ourselves, we have no vision. We are not plumb. A plumb line is something that goes straight up and down, right? And it helps you know where the horizon is. We are not that. We can get all twisted around. But God, when we make our decisions based on him and his word, we always know what's right and down. We have the vision. We can see. Mostly when I don't have vision, I'm alone. The only discussions I'm having are in my own head. I'm having communion with myself. And I like that sometimes. Introverts, we really like that sometimes. We struggle with that. We, sometimes us introverts don't understand how to have communion with other people in a real and relevant way. But when I cease from my wandering and my striving, I find a loving Savior who wants to have communion with me. He wants me. He desires to pour into my heart all the desires of his Father, just as he is filled with, as he is filled with all the will of his Father, and have perfect communion and joy. Then, both the Father and Jesus, they lovingly invite me into an exclusive fellowship of the very triune God through the Spirit. And I can testify that I have never been disappointed when I have accepted his invitation to commune with him. Have you? My favorite quote from a song is from Derek Webb in the song called Lover. And it says, uh, Jesus is talking and singing a song, and he says, You bring all your history, and I'll bring the bread and wine. And we'll have us a party where all the drinks are on me. 
And as surely as the setting sun, you will be set free. Abraham builds another altar to the Lord here. He's walking in this consistent communion with God now. And he's remembering his need for a sacrifice in his life daily. Not his need to sacrifice to God, but his need for a sufficient sacrifice. He's remembering his need. Are you being constantly reminded by the law and your own conscience that you don't measure up? Good. That's the job of the law. To keep us in a place where we recognize our deep and overwhelming need for a perfect sacrifice to save us. A savior to rescue us from this body of death that never fails every day. And in every way, to truly honor God as he deserves to be honored. That's what we need. We need that savior every day. And when I get convicted by the law, I praise God. And I remember Jesus. I don't shrink back anymore. I don't stay in Egypt. But I say, ah, let me go back to the altar. Let me remember all the things that you've done. Let me keep my eyes there. Jesus' work on the cross is greater than everything you have done or ever could do to sin. John 3, 20 says, for if our heart condemns us, God is greater than our heart and he knows all things. He is the only one that can fix our conscience and our heart. Because our hearts tell us how guilty we are. Even if we stayed away from the Bible and didn't read the law, the law is tattooed on our hearts. And we know that we're guilty. And the world knows that they're guilty. Ah, but Jesus, God is greater than our hearts, and he knows all things. When we sin, we can simply look to the cross. When we do what's right, we look to the cross and remember when we failed before. Look to the cross. Do it now. <clears throat> look to him and call out to him with all your heart like a poor soul hanging over the cliff by just a fingernails, how would they scream out for help? If, they were, if there was lava, you were up on a volcano, you're... Beard in my mouth. If you're up in your... You're on a volcano, you're hanging off the side, you slip and fall. Frodo, think of Frodo. Oh my gosh. He's in Mount Doom and fire and lava and a ring and golem biting off his finger, all this stuff going on. How did he scream for help? Help me! How, how intense can you scream? That's how we call out to the Lord. That is how we call out to the Lord. Nothing, no doubt of what we're doing. Are you calling out to the Lord every morning in your devotions? Are you saying, God, I need you so much? Or are you just like, what's up, God? I'm cool, you good today? All right. No. If you believe that he's real, don't let a moment go by without falling upon his mercy. His mercy is available right now. But we don't know when the end is. We don't know when the last day is. Today is the day of salvation for us. Not only to be saved from all our sins and the penalty, but to be living a righteous life. 
If you're not living a righteous life, today's the day that ends. Today's the day you call upon God and say, God, I, I, I sin, and I'm done with it. I'm not going to do this back and forth anymore. I'll have, if you'll have me, I'm yours by the blood of that cross, right? Be right with God today through Jesus' blood on the cross. It was given for you and should not be ignored. I'll just quote that, that song again one more time. I'm, in the fil- I'm the filthiest of them all, but I'm yours if you wash me. From my sin, by the blood of that cross, I am yours. Such confidence he sings with at that point. He knows that what's next for him is victory. Not failure, because Jesus doesn't fail. Amen? Amen. Let's all stand up. Jesus, we, we call upon you, Lord. We, we know that when Abraham came back into the land, Lord, he came back to that place where he had vision and he had communion with you. He looked forward to all that you would do to be his sacrifice. And he spoke with you about that and his great need for it. And Lord, we have an opportunity to do that right now. So Lord, we call upon you. We hear your word. We hear your message of the gospel. And we believe that it was for us. We believe that you have a heart to love us and to give us all that we need. And so, God, we are going to now take communion and we're going to look back at what you did on the cross. We're going to remember it and we're going to call upon your name in total belief to cleanse us in our lives. We don't want to live a life in Egypt. Lord, we're yours if you'll have us. And Lord, as we take the bread and we take the the juice, and we remember your body broken for us and your blood poured out for us, I pray that you would cleanse our hearts, even our consciences, from all sin. Lord, we want to live lives sanctified for you, set apart for your glory and not our own. God, we love you. And I pray that this time of communion and and responding to what the Word of God has said would be powerful in all our lives. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.